0: You know, um, in the parables, it's been good to look at them in detail because you'll notice as we study them, you'll see some recurring messages, uh, some recurring thoughts. And any time in Scripture you see Jesus or God's Word r- repeating a thought, you really need to pay attention to that. And, and we're going to see this over and over again. And, and, you know, Luke 12 is such an interesting passage. And, and, you know, it's like, uh, as, I, as I looked at this, I thought about my wife. My wife is an incredible teacher. She's a, an elementary music teacher. She teaches at Barnes Elementary. And, and I'm, I'm constantly inspired by the way she teaches. And she's been a, 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 I've watched her. She's taught even in our student ministry. Before I came to Owasso. I was a youth pastor. And Robin would always uh, teach our girls. And we were just laughing the other day because uh, we were talking about this parable and she was reminding me about a seventh grade Sunday school class that she was teaching, and and it was one of these, she was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and, and it was this, uh, seventh grade girls, it was really intimate, really close, and, and, and Robin, it was one of these moments she felt like, they're getting it. Man, this is a great moment. These girls are locked in to exact every word I'm saying, and she was teaching on, uh, you know, you was heard that it was said of old, but now, Jesus says to you, and, and these girls are really understanding, you can see it in their face, and then a, a Alina Long raised her hand. She goes, yes, Alina. Did you know that they put up Christmas lights at the park down the street? And she ought to go see it because it looks really pretty. And Robin was like, yeah, yeah, we'll go look at those lights. Okay, that was like out of left field. And, and, but that's what happened to Jesus here in Luke, 15, or in Luke 12. Because you look at verse 1, and there are thousands of people that have gathered. They're all hearing Jesus teach. Imagine the scene. Thousands of people are gathered around. And what Jesus is teaching is he's talking about the plan of salvation. He's teaching about about this incredible moment that the Holy Spirit, that God sees the details of your lives. God sees you. And God is close to you. He's he's talking about this, this, uh, this plan of salvation, and then this guy in the crowd, look at verse look at verse thirteen, and someone in the crowd said to him, "Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me." And it's one of those moments Jesus is going, "Dude, are you serious? I, I mean, the clue phone's ringing. Pick it up. okay, we're not talking what, what do you mean the, And then what does he say? Jesus said to him, "Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now it's interesting in this moment because, you know, Jesus uh, was a rabbi, and it was not uncommon for people to bring issues for rabbis to decide on like this. But, but imagine the frustration that Jesus must have felt in this moment as he's, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And then all of a sudden, this guy's like arguing over a, a an inheritance thing. Now, there's a lot of things about that, be, when I think about Jesus' frustration, because, you know, why did he come? Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and save the lost. We looked at that last week, Luke 15, and, and that's why Jesus came, and I can imagine his frustration going, man, come on, buddy, um, you're missing the point here. But, you know, he, this, this parable, it's interesting, it leads to a parable that Jesus tells us. And it's an important parable for us. Now, when you think about the setting of this moment with Christ, it tells us some things. Number one, you can see that that, uh, inheritance fights have been going on for a long time. I don't know if you've ever been in an an inheritance fight in your life, in your family. But can I ask you, can I challenge us? If, If we're ever in one of those discussions on inheritance, I think it would be wise for us to let the lesson of this parable really drive our thinking and our processes. Because, you know, most of those inheritance fights tend to be a, a greed issue or a, man, I want what's mine. And, and it just shouldn't be that way. So you see that here. But, the, but, the, but, but there's something else in this parable that, that we, need to, we need to hear today. And, and I find often, and this is one of those moments that when I, when I study my Bible, I find myself spending a lot of time looking in the mirror, going, man, this, this, it's this parable that's reading me. This is something that, that God is just revealing some things that I need to change. And the big lesson here, and Jesus very clearly tells it out, it's a very clear warning about the dangers of coveting. And that's the, that's the lesson here, coveting. Look at verse look at verse 15. And he said to them. So Jesus was like, look, I'm not an arbitrator over you, but he said to them, "But take care and be on your guard against all kinds against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions." Now, you know, we're 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 constantly bombarded with messages of materialism, aren't we? I mean, it's what drives advertising. It's what uh, we, we're, we're, especially in the United States, we are in this materialistic culture, materialistic part of the world where where we're told that if you're going to be happy, if you're going to be fulfilled in your life, you've got to drive that kind of car or live in that neighborhood or, or have that uh, Electronic device, you got to have a Mac or whatever your uh, preferences are, whatever's cool, you know. And, and we're told that, that it's, it's, that's the way to meaning, that's the way to happiness. And, and the message we're sold often is that if you really want to be happy, you've got to covet what somebody else has because if you don't have it, you need it. Now, as I've wrestled through this passage. I really kept coming up with some questions in my own heart. And so if t- today, your blanks and your notes, I hope you follow along because that, that, that helps me stay on track. I think that helps us process what God is saying to us. But, but really, it's, it's a series of questions that I think we need to ask ourselves today. And, and the first question is this, that we, we can't get away from as we look at this parable. And the question is, are we careful to avoid coveting? Now, now, we need to be careful to avoid it. And let's really kind of allow God to turn the spotlight on our hearts and ask the question, are, are we careful to avoid coveting what somebody else has? So coveting, what, what does that mean? It's the coveting describes the, the uncontrolled desire to acquire. When I think about coveting, that, that's kind of what it comes to—the the uncontrolled desire that we have to acquire things or stuff. And let's evaluate this now. As you look at this parable, let's first of all look at what it's not saying, what Jesus is not saying here. And I think this is important. He's not saying that success is bad, and so let's let's recognize that. As, as you know, the parable is this very successful businessman. He's, he's been very successful with his business. And, and I just want to say it's obvious that, that Jesus is not condemning success because through the Scripture, there are men through Scripture and people in Scripture that were incredibly successful. Joseph of Arimathea was a very, very wealthy man, but a godly man. He, became, he came to Christ. You have Solomon, uh, the wealthiest that's ever lived. So, so it's not uncommon for God to... Um, allow and move many of his people to be successful. And so what Jesus is not saying is this is an anti-success. Like, when I think about my life, I think you ought to shop at Hobby Lobby. And, and, or, and I think you ought to eat Christian chicken, Chick-fil-A, right? It's Christian chicken. Um, because, you know, but, but Hobby Lobby, I, I, one of my friends, his uh, youth pastor friend, he, he went to the church of the, where the owner of Chick-fil-A went. And a Baptist church in Georgia. Well, at Council Road, the church where I came from, um, Steve Green is a member there. He owns Hobby Lobby, runs Hobby Lobby. I would say Hobby Lobby is very successful, they're everywhere. But you know what, I, what I've seen in, in the Greens' lives? I, I had all their kids in my youth ministry, I preached one of their weddings. And, you know, when I look at their lives, that they are a group of people that are genuinely successful in business. They are incredible business people. And God has blessed them. But do you know what I've watched them do up close and personal? They've held their business and their success like this, not like this. They said, God, you do what you want and I've watched them do that. And and like their kids that were in my youth ministry, you would have never known where that they were as their family was as successful as they were because they were humble, they were servants, they weren't materialistic. And when I look at their lives, like turn over to first Timothy chapter 6. Now, I want you to keep your finger in your Bible here because we're going to flip back and forth uh to first Timothy 6. So, so stay there, but but in this parable, Jesus is not saying that money is evil or that possessions are evil. Like 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, what I've seen in the Green family is a, a beautiful example of, a, of people that don't have a love of money. I've met people that are in pursuit of money and have been successful at obtaining it. And, and when when wealth and success is just their end goal, I've seen some of the most miserable people because their value is in what they possess. I've known poor people that have no money and they're miserable because their belief And their hope is in, well, if I just win the lottery, if I just had money, and I've been at Quick Trip when I'm paying for my gas and I see somebody, like, buying 50 bucks worth of lottery tickets and they're going out and there's duct tape on their bumper. I'm like, maybe you ought to save up the $50 about the lottery and fix your bumper, you know? But the bottom line is, we are in a country where there's a genuine belief, and, and this isn't just our country; it's been the history of the world, that the love of money is the will bring you happiness, and Jesus very clearly says that's not the case. Now, you see this this so this parable is not saying success is bad. This parable is also not saying that saving is a savings is a mistake. Obviously, this guy is saving. You know, he's. he's to, he's got barns, and he needs bigger barns, so he tears them down. He, it's not saying this saving is bad. You should save. And Jesus is not criticizing him for savings. What he's criticizing in the point of this story is coveting, this uncontrolled desire to acquire. And, and you know what's interesting about this guy in the parable? He's really practicing practical atheism. It's like this idea that that God you know, I know what's best. Isn't that our problem? That, that we live in such a way where we think, you know, I know what's better rather than God knows what's better. He's basically living like God doesn't even exist. And it's really interesting as you evaluate this, this man's life and, and, and he doesn't even consider that, that, that this crop that has that grown, he didn't produce the rain that made the crop grow. He didn't give the. He didn't orchestrate the sunlight that was going to um, produce the conditions that would make sure his crop is successful. And he ignores all of that. And I think about us. Sometimes we're that way. We think, "Oh, I'm self-made. Look what I did." And the Scripture warns us that look, God is the one that is is. Uh, at work. You know another thing this guy does? He's looking at himself all the time. He's focused on himself. He overlooks the needs of those around him. He's like, I've got to store up this for me, for me, myself, and I. That's a problem. You know, you know the worst thing he does? And this is important. This guy completely over, overlooks the reality of eternity. And, and you know what? Here's the deal. The Bible calls him a fool, why? What is a fool? Uh, Psalm says, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. Jesus calls him a fool because he, he's like, look, I'm going to just live for right now, just for this life. And then Jesus makes that statement, today your soul will be required of you. And it's really interesting. Interesting. Because we still live in, we, we, we even in the church, those that follow Jesus, still sometimes buy into the lie that if you die with the most toys, you win. But isn't that foolish? Because you die. Then what? Then what? And it's important to, to recognize the, the danger of coveting. And, and we've got to not let our, our desires to get out of control. So, so why, why did Jesus so uh, clearly warn us about this? Why does he, why does he turn his face to this, this question and this, this struggle of coveting where this guy was living? You know, coveting, what does it do in our lives? It, you, you know that coveting will cause physical damage for you. I've seen it time and time again of, of coveting that that causes damage as people begin to overwork they, they get so trapped in their checkbook and and the desire to acquire and, and what they do is they go well maybe I can get another job or maybe maybe I can um, you know work extra hours and you tend to to get in this cycle of man I'm just trying to achieve some financial status or some purchase that you neglect what's most important and you end up sacrificing your health. Have you ever been there? Have you ever done that? You know, Proverbs 23, 4 says, do not wear yourself out to be rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. The desire for too much, I've seen it impact people's health. The desire for coveting, you know, it also causes financial hardship. I've seen this causes financial hardship for people that that it destroys financial security it it dest- when, when you look at, at oh I gotta get what somebody else has or I got to compete with somebody else with um, buying things you can't afford trying to keep up with somebody that that they don't even notice you and 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 it causes this financial sacrifices and 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 hardship that are just It's just terrible, Ecclesiastes 5.10, we studied Ecclesiastes. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. Uh, You'll never be satisfied. The writer of Ecclesiastes says it's vanity. It's foolish to think that wealth will bring happiness, but here's the reality. The average American still spends about $300 more than he takes in. And, you know, when that continues over and over again, that's called deficit spending. And that will catch up with you. And that will be the case for you and your family. It will also be the case for our government and a nation. And so, folks, we've got to hear this. Coveting causes financial hardship. Coveting also, you know, it causes emotional pain for us. I've seen this. I've seen the emotional pain of, of coveting this, this idea that, that the more you have, uh, the, the, the more you worry about it. Have you noticed that? The more you have, the more you have to figure out, well, i got to protect it. i got to figure out how to pay taxes on it. i got to figure out how to insure it. And, and it's like the, the more you have, the more troubles you get. And this is the reality. And, and you know, it's like when I look at… Um, marriages that struggle. Most arguments, most marriages struggle over financial issues of you're just in a spot that you shouldn't be in. And and, and you know, it's interesting is in my, the emotional pain of coveting, I've seen it. You know, my years of youth ministry, I've constantly been with parents and, 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 I've had parents come to me and say, "Chris, help me. My son, he he can't give in. He keeps giving into peer pressure and and he's just drowning trying to trying to please all his friends." And we sat down and I've had family sit down with me and we've looked at it hard and said, "Okay, what what can we do?" And and then Often the root of that has been a mom or a dad that has said, you know, they've, they've modeled for their children, man, my, our neighbor's got a car and, and a new car, so we need a new car. And, 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 they, and they've modeled this, this practice of, of trying to please somebody else when it comes to your, your possessions. And, and so often we look at other people and try to keep up and don't say, God, do I need this? God, is this what you want me to have or do or own? And now look at verse 15. Oh, look First 1 Timothy 6. Turn over there real quick. I want you to see 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And so it's my prayer that we today say, God, we're going to agree with you on what you say. Because the, the scripture says if you were godly, that's, that, that, that's, that's great gain. If we learn to be content with what we have, that's great gain, the scripture says. And this, back to verse 15, notice what Jesus says. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Do you agree with that? I mean, that's what Jesus says. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Doesn't that fly in the face of everything we hear? Because we think that we have value based on the possessions that we have. And Jesus very clearly tells us that's, that's not true. And so that's the second question let's embrace today. Does meaning come from what you possess? Like, think about it. Are we raising children that we're teaching them that, that meaning in life comes from what they possess? Come on. We've got to grow past that. We've got to believe Jesus more than our culture, more than the history of the world has taught us. And this goes against all the messages that we hear, the whole idea of advertising, that, that, that we need to learn to limit our desires. Because what is coveting? Coveting is this refusal to be content with the things that we have. And, and, and let's, let's learn from this. Let's hear this. Let's be content with what God has given us. Let's be content with where God has us. I mean, I, I, I feel this as a pastor. I mean, God, I, I'm not talking at you. I'm with you. This week, I was I had to go to Richmond, Virginia. One, like Chad said in the video, ten percent of what we give uh, goes to partners all over the world. One of the biggest partners that we support is the International Mission Board, the IMB, and uh, we our church financially supports over 3,200 missionaries that are serving the Lord all over the world. And I'm so grateful that we get to be a part of it. Well, I get to serve as a trustee for Oklahoma, making sure that, that we're on the right track with, that, with the International Mission Board. And I got to go this week. And as I went, guess who I ran into? I ran into a friend of mine in the airport, Alex Amaya, who's a pastor in Tulsa, Battle Creek. And you know What? Um, God is using him in incredible ways. And I look at their church and I'm like, man, I'm proud of them. I mean, they have campuses all over Tulsa and they're just making a difference. They're, they baptize more people in, uh, in Oklahoma than any church, any Baptist church in Oklahoma. You know, I, f- I feel sometimes the pressure. I've gone, man, I wish, I wish we baptized that many people. I wish we were, you know, we all face that temptation to look at somebody else and go, man, I wish. And we got to overcome that. we got to be grateful when we see somebody else doing well and go, man, that's kingdom work. Keep going. And, and, and this is important. We've got to, how do we do this? How do we work on this? Well, we've got to avoid the comparison trap. That's something we got to do, right? Let's stop comparing one another. Let's stop comparing ourselves with somebody else. When we compare, when we try to keep score, we tend to always find somebody that we don't measure up with. And it doesn't take us too long to figure that out. First Timothy six, flip over again. Verse 9. Look at this. It says, when we long to be rich, we are a prey to temptation. You know, when, when we've got to be careful that we don't look at somebody else and compare ourselves because we know that things can control us. You know, and, and sometimes when it comes to our possessions or our comparison, uh, we, we recognize that, that we are actually possessed by our possessions. It's like a lady came up to me after the first service. She goes, thank you for preaching this. She, and she told me a story about a day she walked out in this parking lot and looked at her car and God spoke to her and said, this car is driving you. You're not driving this car. And she sold her car. I'm not saying you should sell your car. I got to have a car. But let's ask the question, are our possessions driving us? Do they own us? This is important. And, and I think we've got to avoid that comparison trap. Another, another thing, let's be thankful for what we have. That's a way to avoid coveting. Be thankful for what God has given us. Ecclesiastes 5.19, God gives a person wealth and property. He should be grateful and enjoy what he has. It's a gift from God. Everything we have is a gift from God. But, but sometimes we fall into that trap of, man, when I get this, then I'll be happy. And I've had people say, man, if I got married, I'd be happy. Well, uh, that's not always true. Um, you know, our family—we're in this emptying nest, and uh, you know, the other day, my wife—we're sitting on the—she's on—we're in our house, and she's crying, and I'm trying to be comforting, and I go, "You still have me, honey," <laughs> and I had my shirt off, and I was like, "Hey, hon, woo," and you know what? It didn't produce the kind of joy I was anticipating, you know? And, uh, but, you know, it's, that's not in my notes. I probably shouldn't say that. She really is grateful she married me, I think. But, but, you know what? I've had people say, I've had people say this to me. If I got out of my marriage, I'd be happy. That's not true. We got to get rid of this uh, this whole, if I get, when I get there, I'll be content. No, you won't. You won't. So let's learn that. Contentment is not getting whatever you want. Contentment is enjoying what you have, right? What if we just enjoyed what we have? Proverbs 15, 27, a greedy man brings trouble to his family. And you know, One of the marks of maturity is when we can say, you know what, I'm just content with my life. I'm content with my wife. I'm content with my husband. I'm content with where God has me. Stuff isn't driving me. And so then what does Jesus do? Verse 16, he tells them this parable. The land of a rich man produced plentiful. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger, barn, bigger ones, larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You know what one of the things this guy didn't do? He didn't have one thought about using his wealth to be a blessing to others. And folks, that's something we've got to do. That's a space we must live in to recognize, God, you have entrusted us to be a blessing to others. 1 Timothy 6, flip back over. Look at verse 17 in 1 Timothy 6. As for the rich in this present age, Now, I know most of us in this room are like, well, that's not for me, Chris. I'm not rich. Yes, you are. This is to every one of us in this room. This last year, I've gone to Honduras. I've gone to Colombia. We had a group just get back from Cambodia. The Roark's just went back, got back from Cambodia. All you have to do is travel not very far out of this country. And recognize that because we can go to a water fountain and drink water out of a water fountain, we are rich. Every one of us are. And so we've got to learn to not be a covetous people. And not to look at somebody else and go, man, I wish I had that. But to say, Lord, here's my life. I give you everything I've got. I'm going to hold my life, my possessions like this, not like this. And that's the lesson. You know, materialism, it's an attitude, isn't it? It's, you can be poor and greedy. You can be rich and greedy. And God is looking at us going, look, be responsible. It's not wrong to have nice things. We all have nice things. But let's make sure those nice things don't drive us it's, it's, and here's the, here's the frank reminder. Verse 19 is something we've got to allow God to speak to us. It's critically important. When he says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now folks, when I think about our next steps as a church, this is the Sunday that we kind of evaluate where are we going? What's our next steps when it comes to place God has planted us and the responsibility that we have and, and we've been in this moment and we built the mission and we did it for, with cash we just finished that project over there and we paid cash for that and, and let's, let's understand something we're pretty good we're pretty good I would say we're more responsible than most churches that I know And there are pastors. I talk to them. They'd they'd give their right arm to pastor in this place and be in the spot that we're in. But can I tell you about our next steps? I would say that most of us really don't tithe. And we really are, it's rare For us to look at God and say, God, how do you want me to give? And you know what my prayer is for our church? That we move to a place of financial maturity. Because we're good. But let me tell you something. I don't think we're honoring the Lord yet. And so then that leads to the question, Are we good? Are we really good? None of us are promised tomorrow. Let me ask you this. If you were to stand before the Lord tomorrow, would you look at him and go, man, Lord, I swung for the fence. My stuff didn't drive me. I gave like you wanted me to give. I lived like you wanted me to live. I'm ready to come home. Or would you stand before the Lord and say, Oh, Lord, I was going to, but, you know, I just, I just, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really think you were right on that thing, giving thing. Yeah, I was kind of Kind of had some of my own opinions, you know. It's interesting. There's a question. Third question is really important. So, what is it? It's this: Are we becoming rich towards God right now in your life? Are you becoming rich towards God? Now, what does that look like? Well, I think it's this reality. First thing, four quick things. We need to understand that God is the giver of every dollar we possess. And in, in today is, my wife and I tithe today. And we didn't tithe and, 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 you know, I hear people say, oh, well, that's an Old Testament thing, Chris. Tithing is old. 10%, that's an Old Testament thing. That's, uh, you're, you're right. So let's go New Testament on us. It's actually 10% is where you start. And, and then you're moved to generous giving. Okay? So, you know, most messages on this. Hey, if you'll tithe, God will give you something. God will reward you. But let me tell you, can I just be honest with you? I tithe not to get something later. God's already given me everything. I'm tithing out of gratitude. God, you've already given me. So So our tithe today in our family was out of, Lord, you've already given. Thank you. Out of joy we give. So we've got to believe, we've got to recognize that God is the giver of everything we have. Now, that's important. Another, there's got to be evidence in your life of generous giving. Is that, is that true for you? Is there evidence of generous giving, generous serving, generous, generous inclusion of people, of helping others generously in your life? Is there a habit of wise saving? Look, we've got to save. you got to save money. You should save. Um, and, and you should save wisely. And, and this, is, you should save for your future. You should recognize that, that uh, it's wise to save. Lastly, we've got to have a practice of a, appropriate living. Are you living Right? Understand, this is not saying you shouldn't have nice stuff. We all have nice stuff. But let's make sure that stuff doesn't drive us. That we're not looking for meaning in that stuff. That's important. You know what I love about the church? is we are called to push one another and to hold one another accountable and to challenge one another with this reality that we will stand before God. And believe me, God is gracious. And if you don't know Jesus today, I, I beg you, come to Jesus because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. But for those of us that know Jesus, God is gracious, more gracious than we ever deserve. But we must be, a, be pushing one another with that reality that we will one day stand before him and give an account. That's one of those recurring messages in the parables that we will give an account to the Lord for how we lived, how we served, how we walk with him, how we obey him. And so we've got to push one another. I know some people, there was a couple I met in the first service. They're like, this is our first time to come. A great, a giving message, your first Sunday. Sweet. But, but can I tell you, most of the pastors I know, that criticism that all you preachers talk about is money, that's not true. Most of the pastors I know, they are busting their rear to try to advance the gospel. That's what we're trying to do here. That's where we need to live, how we need to be. So let's let's do that individually, corporately. Let's prepare for that meeting with God where we, like this song we're about to sing, yes, I will, Lord. Is that you today? Are you able to look at the Lord and say, yes, I will, Lord? I'm not saying you gotta go sell your car or move into a smaller house. Just be content with what you got and say to the Lord, Lord, here's my life. Yes, I will.